again, everyone. Welcome to episode 153 of the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. As always, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings. It tastes delicious, whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, or even during a pandemic. What better way to end your hard day than sitting down with a nice, ice-cold, frothy Labatt Blue? And we do ask that you drink our premium beer responsibly. With that said, let's bring in our guest. No stranger uh, to Detroit hockey fans. Uh, currently working for NHL.com as a writer, columnist, you name it. He does, does it all. Many Red Wing fans will remember him as the beat writer for the Detroit Free Press during the glory years. The one and only Nick Consonica. Nick, thanks for joining us on episode 153. Thanks, Art. I do have a six-pack of blue in my fridge, but unfortunately, I do not have one at my desk right here. Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> Maybe well, I should. I don't, I don't know. You get a couple of Greek guys together, and they're drinking beer. God only knows where this podcast would go. So <laughs> We'd have more listeners. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I bet you we'd be big in Athens. I know that. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> With that said, you know, uh, I, we're going to talk Red Wings, certainly, but let's get into it. I know that you, you, you reported extensively about Gary Bettman, the comments he made on Tuesday. We're doing this uh, podcast on Friday afternoon. I know it's a Friday uh, on the 13th of November. I know it's a very fluid situation, but at this point, I am going to give the, the, the NHL credit because the way they pulled off these playoffs was amazing. So I think whatever plan they come up with will work, and I think it'll be the best possible plan. But at this point, I guess let's look at it this way. First of all, they're still adamant or want to start on January 1st. Nick, from what you know, do you think that that is a viable start date? It's viable. It's not certainly guaranteed. I mean, that's the goal. I think they can do it if everything breaks the right way, but there's, there's a lot of hurdles here. I mean, I think the, you know, the Stanley cup playoffs, the 2014 tournament was a great success under the circumstances, but that was, you know, as big of a challenge as that was, it, it's, it's not even close to what this challenge is. Now you're talking about an entire season plus playoffs. Uh, you're talking about the entire league, not just 24 teams. Uh, it's a you know rapidly changing situation again with COVID. Uh, you've got a border that's still shut down, um, so there's a lot of variables here. And you know you also everything the NHL does has to be done in conjunction with the NHL Players Association. It's not like Gary Bettman can just say this is what we're doing and we do it, right? Like they have to negotiate right. everything with the Players Association. The players have to buy in. Uh, and there's very thorny issues here. Like uh, how you pay the players is, is number one. Like, do they get a prorated portion of their salary if the season's shortened? I don't think they want to do that. So do they defer more of their salary? Uh, so there's a lot of issues to work through here. If they can work through them, yeah, I think we can start January 1st. Uh, that's the hope. That's the goal. But we'll have to see. Of course, the elephant in the room, as it has been since March, is uh, COVID-19. I think a lot of whether or not they can, uh, uh, if they get everything in place and they're all in agreement between the NHLPA and the league, uh, COVID-19 could still have an impact on when this season actually starts. Well, it's huge. You know, I still, I never left the Detroit area. I still live here. We can see it in Michigan how uh, things are accelerating. It's accelerating in different areas around North America, including, you know, Canada. Um, the border is still closed to non-essential travel. Um, you know, they did an excellent job during the Stanley Cup playoffs. There were zero positives among team personnel. 
Uh, they were able to seal those bubbles. Everybody bought into the protocols. I think it's going to be way, way more difficult this time. I mean, there's different scenarios they're talking about. They're talking about playing in the home arenas. Uh, they're talking about playing in some regional hubs uh, or doing some hybrid. And, and Gary Bettman said on the record this week that, you know, it can't be like bubbles. Like it, you're not going to seal people in bubbles like you did before. And that means it's going to be a little less secure and, and, and COVID is going to creep in. So, um, you know, it's a big issue and uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I am kind of curious because I know that you were in the bubble for a while. I know you didn't spend as much time as, as everybody else, but uh, you know, I, there, there's a such thing called cabin fever. And supposedly when people uh, get transferred to Hawaii, I remember reading a story about this is that you love it in the beginning, but then when you realize you're on an Island, you can't get off. And some people, it, they don't react too well to that. I, and, and I know you weren't there for very, very long, but what was that environment like? That had to be a very difficult situation the longer you were in that bu bubble, I would imagine, at least mentally. At least it would be for me. Well, it's funny you say that. My wife was a Marine brat, and she spent three years of her childhood in Hawaii, and <laughs> she hated it uh, for precisely what you described. Um, and, you know, Steve Mayer, who was in charge of events for the NHL, said something similar to what you just did is you could, you could put someone in the nicest resort like you can think of. And, but after a while, it's going to get old. Like it's, if you see this, it's groundhog day, you see the same right. thing every day. Right. So right. I was in Toronto, uh, briefly for like a week. Um, the only place I could go was the Royal York hotel and the arena. Um, you know, in just a week, like I ate at the same restaurant and had the same meal three or four times. Um, now imagine doing that for two months. Right. You can't see right. your family. You can't see your friends. You, you've got your hotel room, your team lounge in the rink, and then maybe some little excursions here and there. And that's it. Um, you know, I don't care how much money you get paid. Um, that's that's a difficult existence. It's just it wears on you mentally. Now, they're all blessed to play in the NHL. They're all blessed to make the money they do. Um, that's why they're doing it. No one's lost sight of that. Um, a lot, you know, a lot of people have it worse especially those who lost people to covid we all have that perspective but it's difficult um and you could hear it wearing on people the longer it went and I, it's not practical to do it for the whole season so if they use hubs um i think the idea is they you know what gary bettman said is you'd rotate in you'd, you'd be there for you know 10 to 12 days you'd play a bunch of games and you'd rotate out uh you'd go home see your family practice and then rotate back in um, I don't, that's one of many options they're considering. Um, it's not as secure as a bubble, uh, but you'd still have the same protocols. The other thing people forget about the bubbles is the protocols were extremely strict. Like you had to wear a mask everywhere, but you know, your own hotel room or when you were eating or when you were exercising everywhere at all times, you had to wash your hands. You had to be physically, you know, physically distant from everyone else. Like, so even within the bubble, you're in kind of your own bubble, right? Um, right. Like it wasn't like you're in the bubble hanging out like with everybody and like normal, like it, you weren't like the testing was a report card. It was, you know, for all, you know, everybody's buy into the protocols. So the protocols were strict the entire time. And, and that wears on people too. Well, it, it's interesting. You would bring that up because, uh, uh, 
uh, about all the protocols and being your own bubble. Dan Petrie, obviously a, a Tiger analyst, former great Tiger pitcher, World Series champion in 1984, uh, uh, has been on the Word on Woodward, the the show that I that I host with uh, uh, Daniela Bruce and uh, Carly Johnson. It's a you know it's a Tiger Red Wing show, and uh, you know he was talking about the Tigers. Well, obviously his son Jeff Petrie plays for the Montreal Canadiens, and he was telling me that in the bubble. Uh, that what ended up happening was is that Jeff, Carey Price, and Shea Weber were too old for the young guys on the Canadians. So, <laughs> so they ended up spending a lot of time in their room during doing uh, jigsaw puzzles, you know, doing puzzles. And, you know, you know, and he said that, you know, that they got really, really close and that after a while... I guess they opened up, there were two hubs, I guess, where they were. They opened up the other hotel that they could go into, and there were a little more shops and stuff. But he said, really, all they did was practice, work out, go yep. back to their rooms, and do puzzles. That yep. was essentially what, what it was, which, you know, I, I mean, again, they're professional athletes. And I give the players in the league, but I really do give these players credit because these playoffs were fantastic. But the conditions they were living in were just not ideal. And, but, no. you know, they just and, weren't. You know, I, the the teams that lasted the longest, you know, the stars and the the lightning, you know, they were there for about two months, um, you know, and I think that it was incredible. I think the Stanley Cup should go down in history as the the hardest to win, um, but that's not sustainable for a six month season. You just can't do it, and it's not economically sustainable. It costs tens of millions of dollars to do that. Um, that's the other thing people don't understand. I mean, remember you you, you had. No fans, no concessions, no parking, right? Like all that revenue didn't, didn't, <laughs> it's just gone, right? Right. So they were trying to preserve some of the TV revenue, right? Um, and then you added the cost of that. You had to put up all the staff, all the players. Um, you had to set up like the TV studio that they turned the rink in. Um, that costs lots of money. So it's just not sustainable in, in any way to do it for six months. So they got to find a, a different solution. Uh, and I know they're working on that very hard. Well, you know, I, I, we've already touched upon it. And uh, I know January 1st is the start deadline. And why is the league so adamant about it? Reports that I've read is, is that the Summer Olympics are scheduled to begin in mid-July. And they obviously want to have their season already done by mid-July because they don't want to run into the Summer Olympics, which were put off a year, obviously, in Tokyo uh, because of COVID-19. Uh, we've talked about the 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 Hub City's 10-and-day rotation. The thing that I also like about maybe what's going to happen. And these are uh, be a, a couple of questions, but I like the fact that the, the league, much like baseball, is thinking that teams are going to play two to three game series, almost like little mini playoffs. I guess under these times, I don't mind if that were to be the case. I wouldn't mind like the Red Wings playing, uh, you, know, you know, well, it won't be Toronto, but we'll get into that in a second. But, you know, Chicago, let's say for three games in a row, I think that'd be pretty cool. Well, to start with the January 1st and sort of the timetable, I mean, you're right. That's part of it. You know, NBC is the Olympic partner in uh, the United States, and that's the, you know, the NHL, um, you know, TV network. So you want to fill that TV slot. I think with the NBA starting December 22nd, uh, you know, it would make sense for the NHL to, to, you know, start January 1st, hopefully with some kind of outdoor game. Um you know, and finished by the Olympics. So you're filling that TV inventory, um, 
you know, it, but the other part of it too, longer term, and Gary Bettman said this the other day, is you want to get back to your normal rhythm, you know, for lots of reasons, just because that's the normal rhythm. Also, you know, TV ratings were down for every sport. Part of that is, you know, the situation, lots of more competition because every sport's playing at the same time. But also, you know, avid hockey fans will watch hockey whenever. Casual fans more want to watch it when they normally watch it. So I think looking ahead to the following season, like you want to try to get back to your normal rhythm. And that, that means trying to finish before the Summer Olympics so you can get back to a normal schedule, hopefully in the fall of, of 21. You know, as far as playing, you know, one team three times, like it's funny because Don, Don Fear has a baseball background. That's the way to do it in baseball. Jonathan Taves has talked about that as a way to reduce wear and tear. Um, and I think under these circumstances, just reducing travel, uh, it makes a lot of sense. It, it's an option. I don't know that that's what's going to happen, but I, I, I do think it makes a lot of sense. You fly in, you play a three-game series or whatever, you knock that out, um, and then you're done. Um, with, especially with no fans or limited fans in the stands, you know, the reason that teams don't do it now is you need variety, right? Like you don't – like if you're at Little Caesars Arena, you don't want to watch the same team come in three three nights in a row. Well, that's gone if if, if fans right. are in the stands, right? So right. Um, I think uh, I think it could make some sense. Well, uh, as it stands now, and as I said, this is Friday afternoon right around 2 o'clock Eastern uh, Standard Time. Uh, hopefully you've uh, all turned your clocks back by now. Uh, this is no no November 13th. And uh, where it stands now, Hub Cities for 10 to 12 days is still being discussed. It seems like in the Board of Governors meeting that they had on Thursday, on the 12th of November, uh, it seemed that that was not exactly embraced. It wasn't a real popular idea. They would like to be able to play in their own arenas, these teams. And where it is allowed by the local government or whatever the state restrictions are of having some sort of fans in the stands, uh, I, you know, and I think we're all hopeful that that will happen uh, for Red Wing fans at Little Caesars Arena. With all that said, Nick, uh, I, I'm really curious because we're now hearing about there's going to be a Canadian division for sure, and then there's going to be a division realignment. And you know, and I've seen a few things, but it kind of looks like you know, obviously the Red Wings, Chicago, uh, St. Louis, Columbus, Pittsburgh. You know, I've seen that kind of uh, 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 division. Do you think that it will be realigned, and that's what we're going to see? Well, just to preface this, that this is my speculation and not official league right. uh, position because I work for the league and people I don't want people to confuse that. Uh, yeah, that's what I think is going to happen. I mean, on the record, Gary Bettman said we're not going to ask we our seven um, Canadian franchises to spend the entire season below the Canadian border. <laughs> right. Um, so what does that tell you? Right. Like the, the, the lucky thing for the NHL is that with the border close to non-essential traffic, seven teams is about the size of a division. So it makes sense to just keep the seven Canadian teams above the border, let them be a division, let them play each other. Uh, and then you have a, div you know, you kind of divvy it up below the border into what makes sense geographically. It also probably doesn't make sense to have, um, you know, the Detroit Red Wings playing the San Jose Sharks, like, or the LA Kings or the Anaheim Ducks. Like, you know, why, why do that under these circumstances? So keep them closer to home, um, fewer trips. Um, I think that that's, and, you know, also keep you in your time zone uh, for TV. So um, I think uh, that's, those are all things they're discussing. Well, I, I, another thing is, is if they get it 
if they are able to pull this off by January 1st, and again, we're all hopeful and you know, we don't have any inside information. We're just, you know, one thing that I've always loved to do is rumor, innuendo, and speculation. I thrive on that. So, uh, uh, so <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nick hates it. I love it. So keep that in mind where we're coming from. But, um, you know, they might be able to pull off. It's going to be, a, it's not going to be an 82 game schedule for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, we've heard 60, 62 perhaps. 56, but I think the later it goes, if they can't pull off uh, January 1st, you know, there's even been talk of a 48-game schedule. Again, Nick, I'm asking you to put on your soothsayer cap. How do you think the number of games is going to play out? Well, it certainly depends on when the NHL is able to start. Um, obviously, they want as many games as possible, but I think, I think it's a sliding scale. Like, if you're talking about ideally, you want the most – the highest proportion of games with fans, right? right. Um, so they're trying to figure that out. And, but it's a touchy subject because it depends, too, on the players. What, what do the players want to do? What do you do about pay? Um, do you prorate? Do you not prorate? Do you defer? Do you not defer? Uh, so it's, it's a very complicated thing um, from, you know, from that perspective. But I got to think, um, you know, they're going to try to play the most games that make you know, economic sense. Um, and to me, 48 is probably the minimum just based on history because uh, it needs to be a meaningful season. Um, and that's what the shortened seasons have been. But I think they want to play more than 48. But to me, 48 is probably the minimum. When you look at uh, the situation the Red Wings are in, I know Steve Eiserman has has said this, that he, along with the other six non-playoff teams, have asked the league if they could start their training camp earlier because depending on when this stands, I mean, and I guess it's, it, it, it's probably highly improbable, but it could still happen. By the time the Red Wings start playing competitively again, they could have almost been off the ice for a year, oh, one yeah. solid calendar year uh, before. Crazy. So he wants to start... He wants to start earlier. Um, does do you see do you see first of all that that happening that they're going to get at least a week? Steve said a week, maybe ten days at the most. It won't be two weeks. That they will start earlier. And also, I'm going to double uh, <laughs> double dip on this one, Nick. Do you do you believe that uh, from what you're hearing? And again, we, we, no one really knows, but that there will be an AHL season, which is really imperative for the Red Wings. Well, on the first, yes. Like, I think that that's what they'd like to do. Um, I know Steve and, and the other GMs want it. I don't see what it would hurt. Um, and I think the players who have, who have to agree to that because it's more, it's more work, uh, I think they want it too. Um, right. So it, it makes sense as long as they can do it within, you know, depending on COVID. As far as the American League season, uh, I just don't know. Like, I don't know. And um, it's more difficult for the American Hockey League uh, as a business to not have fans in the stands. Like, they don't have the TV uh, contracts that the NHL does. Uh, so I, I really don't know. Um, but it's critical for the development of players. Um, I don't know whether you'd have an American League season, you know, certainly abbreviated, whether you would have something like what baseball did, where, like, you know, the Tigers had their, you know, their sort of taxi squad. Um, in Toledo, I, I just don't, I don't know. Um, what I do know is that I like that the Red Wings have lots of players playing in Europe, uh, especially their younger players, um, to develop and play, uh, just cause that's a certainty right now. Let them play, 
uh, let them develop, and that gives you an advantage over over players who aren't playing. Well, you know, I, I'm thinking about this as you're talking about it, and I know that Steve is really hopeful that there will be an AHL season. Most of the guys that are in Europe right now, Red Wing prospects, especially the ones in Sweden, Steve is more than willing to leave them in Sweden, let them play out that season, and then hopefully come back and either maybe play for the Red Wings or play for, for the Grand Rapids Griffins. If that doesn't happen, Nick, and I asked Steve this question, but uh, I want to ask you, do you think that if there's no AHL season that the league will expand rosters? I think the rosters are, what, 23 right now? But do you think they could possibly go up to maybe even 30, especially if you're playing a very compressed schedule? Probably, but again, that also has to go through the PA, and you have to deal with CBA issues regarding that. Um, they'll they'll have to come up with some sort of um, some sort of you know, I don't know, like <laughs> I don't know what you call it. They're, they're <laughs> going to have to make some sort of plan for that uh, because there's going to be injuries. There's going to be injuries. You got to call people up. Um, you know, in the bubbles, they they allowed for more players for precisely that reason. Um, but again, like it, it gets complicated the way the CBA is because the, if you put more players on the national hockey league roster, um, that messes with escrow, it messes with lots of different things. So what I could see is, is, and this is again, just a pure guess. Mm-hmm. You, you still have a 23 man, uh, national hockey league roster, but you're allowed to keep, you know, X many players as a taxi squad under sort of a separate umbrella with you. So that if you have to call somebody up, they're they're right there with you. You know what I mean? Right. So right. to me, that's probably more what they probably do, uh, but I really don't know. Well, to to wrap this up before we start uh, uh, changing gears here, um, I, I think we're both in agreement. There will be a season when it starts. We really don't know how many games. We really don't know. <laughs> but- very informative art (laughs) and 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 everyone's hoping to play in their arena but we really really don't don't we really don't know and it may begin i guess is this a possibility in all seriousness i mean maybe they begin the season in these little hub cities but eventually i think that they would like to to get to a point where everyone is playing in their own arena well that's very possible And, and gary bettman has said that um repeatedly that how the season starts is not necessarily how it will finish I mean, what I would give the NHL some credit for is being very flexible, um, really considering all angles, um, and they're prepared to be flexible. So, you know, if COVID, um, you know, makes it impossible to have teams play in their own building, or at least some of them, like, and they do hubs, and COVID gets better um, as the year goes on, then they, they switch it up. Right. So you have to be flexible. You have to embrace the fact that it's not going to be normal or perfect. Um, if you don't have secure bubbles, you're going to have to, you know, um, not embrace, but accept the fact that there's going to be some positives, which means there's going to be some cancellations like we've seen in college football, like we've seen in baseball, uh, and you're going to have to roll with it. Um, like that's the only way you're going to get through this. So, um, you know, I know that they're going to be very flexible and, uh, and nimble. Well, as long as we have a hockey season, I'm more than willing to roll with it, as you as you said, especially after covering the Tigers and their 58-game schedule, which really turned out pretty well, uh, uh, considering some of the alternatives, especially with, uh, uh, you know, with, with what was going on with some of the Major League Baseball teams. But 
Uh, I'm hopeful, and I, I'm like you, Nick. I, I am hoping that in September of 2021, uh, you know, in my case, I'm able to go up to Traverse City for the Prospects Tournament and then Red Wing Training Camp, and then we get back to uh, to normal. It could be wishful thinking, but uh, I'm going to uh, remain optimistic. But there is going to be a season this year, but there's still a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like you. I'm really hopeful. And, you know, that fall is going to be big for the National Hockey League. You've got a new franchise coming in, the Seattle Kraken. Like, I'm hoping to be in Seattle for their first training camp and their first game the way I was for Vegas. Um, it's going to be big. Um, I think we all want to get back to normal just in life, right? So, right. Um, and you want to you want to do that with the least amount of people sick and and dying as as obviously possible well right um, i mean and that's really the thing like we're talking about sports here but like that's what's most important right and like i don't want anybody to listen to this conversation and and, and not understand that we have that in perspective that's obviously what's most important i i couldn't i couldn't agree with you more i mean you know certainly uh you know you know people are creatures of habit and I, I, I think that, you know, when, when, when the apple cart is, uh, is, is upset a little bit, everybody gets a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit ornery or it doesn't like to be taken out of the routine. However, where we're at right now, the biggest and most important thing is, is that, you know, we just, uh, you know, and, you know, hey, it kind of blows. I'll be the first to admit it, but you got to follow protocols. Hopefully we're all healthy and we're getting back to, um, to normal sooner rather than later. Uh, and, uh, uh, and again, you know, this, uh, you know, it's just tragic, uh, what's going on, you know, Nick, I, you know, did not to get totally off the topic, but I always thought that maybe the biggest moment of my lifetime would be man landing on the moon. You know, I mean, I remember it. I remember it happened like at like almost two o'clock in the morning. Uh, once it happened, our whole neighborhood just came out and like everybody started applauding, looking up at the moon. I mean, I was a little boy, but you know, I, that, I, that image has always stayed with me. I never in my wildest dreams ever thought that I would live through, you know, a pandemic. I never thought, I never thought that was possible, you know, but boy, what a, what a time we're living in. I hate to, you know, bring this up, but like at least the landing on the moon was positive. Right. Like the only other thing that I can compare this to, and it's, it oddly intersects with the Detroit Red Wings is 9-11. Right. I mean, I was in Traverse City at training camp. So was I. Talking to Jim Nill. Uh, about a pro- young prospect named Pavel Datsuk. Um, I will never forget it. We were talking about this kid, Pavel Datsuk, um, when Jim just abruptly stops in mid-sentence and looks like up above me, like there's a TV up in the window. We were in the rink next to the, right. the boards. Right. And he kind of just stops and looks up at the TV, and he goes, wow. I go, what? And we turn around, and we see a plane flying into a building. And we're like, that's awful. Wow. And and it just didn't process. And after a few seconds, we continued our conversation. Like, we didn't realize what was happening. Right, right. right? So we finished the interview. I don't know, it was 8.39 in the morning, whatever it was. And, um, you know, I, you were probably in the rink with me that day. And, um, you know, I don't want to get into all of it. But, like, like, that was a marker in my life, right? And then this, you know, because I work in hockey, it is again. And. Um, you know, I was, I remember I was supposed to go to Columbus cause it was going to be the first game without fans, like really in NHL history. I was, I was all set to jump in the car and drive down there. And then, then the season was paused. Um, and you know, this has been unlike anything I've ever, you know, experienced in my life. And I hope I never have to experience anything like it again. Right. No, I agree with you. I mean, I remember at nine 11, I was, uh, 
because it was also the day of the Red Wing golf outing. Uh, I, I was up in Traverse City, and my boss called me, and uh, she said, hey, are you watching TV? Well, yeah, I was kind of rolling out of bed. It was, you know, a little bit before 9 a.m., and I said, uh, uh, no, I haven't turned it on yet. What's going on? She goes, well, a plane just crashed into the World Trade Center in New York. And I said, really? Well, I am thinking like some small po- small airplane, some pilot, you know, went off course or had mechanical and, and crashed into the World Trade Center. She goes, why? And I go, really? She goes, I suggest you turn your TV on. I am not exaggerating, Nick. I turned on my TV and like 10 seconds later, the second plane crashed in. And that's when that's when it all changed for me. I mean, I remember going to that golf outing. I remember no one could fly. I remember it being very, very quiet. Uh, I remember no airplanes in the air, which you see a lot up there in Traverse City. Uh, I mean, it was just a, a, a very... Uh, yeah. Very, very real moment. And, you know, I, and, it, you know, right. And then we were both up there and, you know, and I remember I, we had to stay up there for training camp. I had to stay mm-hmm. up there for training camp, which I did, but I remember getting home finally after about a week, um, a week longer up there. And it was just a very, very um, sobering time to say the least. And obviously this whole COVID COVID-19 is uh is also very so sober and sobering and you know i you know I, and we wish everybody just you know safe uh stay safe and ha- be healthy and uh you know we will get through this i mean we're resilient and uh, we will get through it um i now want to pivot and and talk a little bit about hockey we know there's going to be a season and let's turn our attention to the detroit red wings um you know i know i told you this when you were a guest on the word on woodward show um, as great a player as he was, and he's one of the immortals of the game, Steve Eiserman, I am convinced that if he continues at this pace, what he did in Tampa and what I think he's about to do here in Detroit, he could actually be a better administrator than player. And I know that that's really, and I'm not trying to suck up to you, Steve. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. He's still listening to the two of us. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 uh, only, only if he's got his own Labatt Blue and he's sitting yeah. there, yeah, you know. But uh, he's got better things to do. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I am, I have been thoroughly impressed with what he's been able to do in a short period of time uh, with this roster. And let's begin um, with the Mark Stahl trade, which you know, granted, you know, kind of fall fell into place, and there could be another. Mark Stahl type trade in the future for the Red Wings because of their salary cap uh, situation. But really what a great move by the Red Wings. Yeah. I'll, I'll push back at you a little bit. Like I did uh, on the word on Woodward. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's a pretty high bar. I mean, Steve Eisman was one of the greatest players of all time. NHL 100 hall of famer. I don't think he's there yet. Um, but I mean, he did a great job in Tampa. Yeah. That's Nick, um, Steve. That's Nick, yeah, Nick yeah. knocking you, buddy. Remember that. <laughs> but, like, you know, and I, but I will say this, like I wrote this on NHL.com. I think there's more reason for optimism than there's been since they hired Steve Eisenman as GM. Like uh, he's just, he's, he's done a good job, but I also, and you know, Steve better than I do. Um, he's patient. He's patient. He's methodical. Um, and this is going to take patience and being methodical. Um, it's not a quick fix. I think he's had a hell of an offseason, but I don't think that makes them a contender. Um, what it does do is it improves them in the short term. Um, it keeps them flexible because none of these things are uh, long-term commitments. And it buys time for their younger players to develop. 
like I, I keep repeating this. Like the only way the Red Wings are going to get back to their glory years is when they find draft and develop a core. Like they don't just need another Steve Eiserman. They need another Sergei Fedorov. They need another Nicholas Lidstrom. You know, they need they need a core of players to build around. Um, and maybe they have the beginning of that in Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider and some of these younger other younger players. But until they have that, like they're not going to go anywhere, right? So right. what do you do in the interim, right? So Mark Stahl, like I have a lot of respect for Mark Stahl, but let's be honest. He's here to plug a hole for one season in the lineup, and his biggest value was the, the, the draft pick he brought with him in that trade. Right, he's the second-round pick. He's a salary dump. Right. right. So they're taking his salary to get uh, an asset for the future, which is great. And he's a he's a veteran player, a character guy, uh, and he'll eat up some minutes. Right. So um, a lot of what they did this offseason was addition by subscri- by subtract by subtraction. Sorry, I can't speak. Mm, um, right. You know, I love guys like Jimmy Howard and Justin Adelcator and, you know, Jonathan Erickson, who who got beat up here, but did a lot of, a lot for the Red Wings when he was here. But it was time. It was time to, to move on. And, um, you know, they, they moved on from a lot of those guys and brought in some guys like Mark Stahl and Stetcher and, and Merrill, you know, on defense. Um, you know, you add some guys up front, you know, Nemesnikov. Like, I love bringing in Nemesnikov and Merrill, who, who are local guys um, who want to be here because I think that's important. Um, you know, a Bobby Ryan who's motivated to have a big year. Um, you know, those are all good ads. Uh, so, but again, it's it's short term. It'll make them better. It'll, it'll create a better environment, and it will buy time for what really needs to happen, which is for them to build a young core uh, that can come up and they can build around it in the future. Well, one of the things, and I know you touched upon it, that uh, you know, I, I, we're we're very privileged with the jobs that we have. But when you get to see and get to know players and you cover them and you see them on a daily basis, you know, we're human beings. You start to interact with them and you develop a human relationship with them as well as a professional relationship with them. And you're able to separate, you know, when you have to, you know, when you have to criticize, they get it, they understand it, you know. So, I mean, that's part of it. But, you know, you do become... I would say, you know, maybe not drinking buddies or something, but you become friendly with them. And you know, I, I say this because Jimmy Howard is one of the top-notch guys you're ever going to meet. He was always accountable. He suffered. He had a horrible year last year, but he always stood up and took full responsibility for that. And with that said, though, the addition of Thomas Grice along with Jonathan Bernier uh, at this point is is a pretty significant upgrade. So the Red Wings should be hopefully stronger in goal this year. Well, and you get better right away there, right? Like you have good goaltending. It masks a lot of other, you know, mistakes and deficiencies. And the other thing I like about Thomas Grice, okay, he signed for two years. Jonathan Bernier signed for one. And Bernier had a pretty good year last year under the circumstances. So there's yet another player. Let's say Bernier, you know, has a good start, good season. He's another guy you could move at the deadline. Right. And then you still have Thomas Grice for next year. And then maybe you sign another goalie like like that's smart, you know, and some of these other guys, if Bobby Ryan has a, you know, a really good year, he maybe gets flipped at the deadline. I don't know, you know, but like Steve has given himself, um, you know, upgrades on the roster. He's given himself opportunities to make more moves. 
um, and he's not tied himself up with it, with anything that's going to be a problem long term. And and I think, in fairness too, um, some of that's the situation. Like it's just with the cap being flat, um, I think that forced some guys to take some deals they might not have wanted to take in ordinarily, and he took advantage of that. And he also took advantage of the New York Rangers needing to clear cap cap space. It's just that's smart. So. You know, you play the hand you're dealt. That's the hand he's dealt. Um, but again, I want to get back to, you know, all this is short term, right? Right, and right. We, we do have to watch games in the short term and, and it matters. And But the long term is what matters the most. When Steve took over in Tampa, he inherited Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman, right? A right. number one center and a number one defenseman. It still took them a decade to win the Stanley Cup. And if you look at who won the con Smythe, okay, like... You know, the other guys like who were candidates were Kucherov and Point, right? Two guys they drafted that weren't first-round picks, right? So, and Stamkos hardly played, right? right? So you look at it, like Steve takes over, he inherits two really great pieces. He still had a veteran in Saint-Louis and LeCavier. He still rebuilt the team around Stamkos and Hedman. It still took them a decade. They still needed to draft and develop other difference makers, right? Um, And they used lower picks. So that's how I look at the situation, right? It's still going to take a while. They need Raymond. They need Cider to develop. They need some of these other guys to become a Braden Pointer and Nikita Kucherov. Like they stockpile draft picks, picks starting with Ken Holland, when they realized that the you know their streak was going to end. They need some of those picks to hit and build a young core, and then we can get into you know some of these short-term moves to to be talking about a contender. Well, yeah, man. In a book that I wrote with Kevin Allen many years ago called What What It Means to Be a Red Wing, uh, it has since been reissued as Red Wing Nation. Uh, Steve Eisenman wrote the foreword, and I can remember the beginning of the foreword he wrote. Um, there isn't many things that I wouldn't change about my hockey career, except it took me 14 years <laughs> to win the Stanley Cup, you know, the first time. I didn't see that coming, you know. Yeah. I'm kind of paraphrasing him, but if anybody knows what it takes and is patient, it is certainly Steve Eiserman. I want to go to a couple of uh, uh, the, the, the defensive signings that they did in free agency. You know, I, I saw John Merrill uh, at the University of Michigan. I always thought that he was a, a top-notch player. Uh, you know, was drafted in the first round, I believe, by New Jersey. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think that John Merrill, you know, obviously growing up here wants to be a Red Wing. Uh, uh, I, I think that he is solid. And Troy Stretcher, uh, Stetcher, pardon me, I thought that he was really, really outstanding for Vancouver in the playoffs. And I know that they're under the cap and they had all kinds of things. Heck, they, there was even speculation they're going to trade Brock Besser. But, uh, but with all that said, I mean, those two young guys are quietly a really good upgrade. You know, things that maybe not go on the uh, the NHL blip, so to speak. You know, people all over the league aren't talking about them. But these are two pretty quality additions. Well, again, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, okay? But I'm right. trying to bring some perspective. Like, we get all excited, okay? And I like these two players, but they're depth players, okay? Right. You're upgrading over the worst team in the cap era, <laughs> So yes, they're upgrades, but like were the Red Wings last season were the worst team in the cap era. So they're upgrades, but they're not stars, and no one should expect them to be stars. I, I'm a right. John Merrill fan. He's a local kid. He's a Michigan product. I got to know him a little bit because I covered a lot of the Vegas Golden Knights since they entered the league. Um, but you know, on the Vegas Golden Knights, who were um, you know a Stanley Cup contender, he was out of the lineup. 
or he was a you know he was in and out of the lineup, right? So that's what he is on a really good team. Here he'll play a, a higher role, um, but you know the good thing too he's got a background. Blashell's known him since you know he was a teenager, right? Like he's got some size, like but he's he's a depth player. Stetcher, you know he works hard, he competes. Um, I I really like him, but he's another guy who you know on a good Vancouver team he was not. You know, one of their top defensemen, he was a depth defenseman and a good one, right? And that's what you're getting here. So when you're a bad team, guys are going to play slotted higher in the lineup than they would play on a contender. The Red Wings are not a contender. So it's great for them. They get opportunity. That's one of the selling points. That's why Eisenman was able to sign them. He can sell them on opportunity. Uh, but I, I think people need to keep it in perspective just a little bit. Well, you know, I, I obviously, Nick, thank you for uh, for making me come down to earth. I, I feel, <laughs> sorry, buddy. I, I, I feel I feel so much better now. I really can't wait for the weekend of the Michigan Wisconsin game. Uh, but oh, uh, you're really going to come to earth, maybe. Yo, man, that, 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 that could, yeah, yeah, really crash land to earth here. But yeah, um, yeah I'm going to stall in Bobby Ryan. What I think is interesting about that is is that I think you're absolutely correct. If they have the years that. If they have breakout seasons, and let's face it, Mark Stahl was still playing like 15 minutes a game, and I believe he was on the Rangers' number one penalty-killing unit, and mm-hmm. certainly the Red Wings need a lot of help killing penalties. So he is definitely going to be uh, a good player, but those could also be two players that the Red Wings could move at the deadline and acquire more assets. Right. I mean, again, Stahl is here because of the salary situation. Um you know, I think he, he plugs that hole. But again, it's for one year. Like if he has a horrible year, they got the asset for having him, right? If he has a good year, um, they can, you know, potentially flip him and get another asset. So it's a, to me, it's a no-lose uh, acquisition. Um, Bobby Ryan, like we all know his story. It's very inspiring. Um, I think he's hugely motivated. He's on like a one-year, $1 million deal. It's like no risk for the Detroit Red Wings, right? Like what right. a great signing. And the, the fact that he's, you know, excited to come here and it, it provides him opportunity to sort of reboot his career, like he's going to be motivated to, to score, right? And the, he's a righty, right, which helps their power play. Right. Um, so like to me, another basically no risk, like potentially high reward signing. You know, so, um, you know, he's a good guy. Um, he's, I think he's passed some demons. Um, and I really, like, how can you not root for a guy on a human level, you know, to have a big year and do well by him and by Detroit? Right. There's there's no question. Now, Steve indicated the last time that he addressed the, uh, uh, addressed the media, um, he said that, you know, he may not be done. I know that there's a lot of unrestricted free agents still out there, and it was interesting. I had Craig Button um, uh, on uh, on the Word on Woodward, and he said that he thought the free agency this year would play out, because hockey usually it's real quick. You know, most guys sign. I mean, there's a couple stragglers, obviously, but, you know, it, you know it's really kind of neat and tidy. Uh, uh, but he thought it was going to be more like Major League Baseball, where it was going to be, because of this cap situation, kind of strung out. Um, I'm going to ask you again to put in uh, put on your soothsayer cap here, Nick. Uh, you know, st- I, I, you know, there's some intriguing, like a Mike Hoffman or somebody like that. I know Red Wing fans have asked me about Andreas Athanasiu possibly coming back to Detroit. Unfortunately, I don't see that happening, uh, uh, Double A fans. But um, 
I and Steve said there is a possibility he may still do something. I'm under the impression if he does do something before training camp begins or or during training camp or before the season starts, I look at it as more of a salary dump, a Mark Stahl type of deal, taking on a contract, and, and you could move this player maybe at the deadline to acquire more assets. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I'd be looking to do. Like like I don't again like like you look at their their roster like he's got no glaring holes right now and like I know some Red Wings fans are worried about blocking you know and Evgeny Svechnikov and that kind of thing already right right so I don't think you know I don't think he needs to do anything right so what I would be looking at is to I've still got some cap space there are still teams that want to um, you know add and are against the cap. And so let's see how some dominoes fall. Like once we know when the season is going to start and we have some more clarity, I think some moves are going to start to be made. Like those last free agents will sign. Um, maybe some team needs to create room to sign one of them. Maybe some team needs to, you know, you know, make some moves, right? And then I'm sitting there. I, I can weaponize my cap space uh, to pick up some more assets for the future because, again, that's what it's all about. Now, again, just purely – you know, just hypothetical throwing things out there. Like I was wondering about Marc-Andre Fleury. Would Detroit be a conduit to send him somewhere? Like not to acquire Fleury, but acquire Fleury and flip him, right? So right. can clear cap space. Let, let's say Pittsburgh wants Fleury back, right? So uh, I'm Steve Eiserman. and I'm like, all right, Vegas, you give me, you know, I'd ask for a first-round pick. Right. Give me a first-round pick. I'll eat some salary, and then I'll flip Fleury to Pittsburgh for another asset, Right. Um, you know, like something like that. Now it's much easier said on a podcast than done. Right. I think, I think <laughs> Vegas tried to do that and, te- and they weren't willing to give up what team, the few teams that could do it would want. Right. So it didn't happen, but that's what I would be looking to do if I were Steve. Right. I, you know, hopefully Steve is still listening to this podcast. Are you listening, Steve? That's a good, that's a good idea Nick came up with. Yeah. He, he, I think Steve's probably a little ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, he, he, you know, just a little bit. He might be a little bit ahead of the game than than, than both of us. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 you know, I know I'm jumping around, and we only have a few minutes left here. But, but I wanted to ask you, um, you know, Steve said that they were going to name a captain. I would be shocked if the next captain of the Red Wings doesn't have University of Michigan ties, either Dylan Larkin or maybe a dark horse candidate, Luke Glendening, who captained Michigan for his final two years, his junior and season C, uh, junior and senior season for Red Berenson. We'll just do a, a you know, give Merrill an A too, you know, just like, we'll get all, play the victors as they come out onto the ice. I wouldn't mind that. Uh, yeah, uh, I wouldn't I, I, th- I think Dylan and, I think Dylan, Merrill, and, uh, and obviously Luke wouldn't mind that either. <laughs> I mean, I think you're probably right. I think it's Dylan Larkin. Um, and I think we all know why. Anybody who follows the Red Wings knows why. Um, and I think Dylan's grown. He's matured. Um, you know, he's handled himself like a captain, even though he hasn't won the letter. Um, you know, the one thing that you love about Dylan is he cares. He cares. He has character. Um, you know, he plays hard all the time. Um, you know, is he an elite level player? Um, I don't know that. Um, but he's a very good player and you never doubt his effort. Um, and so if you look at this roster and he'd be the captain, I would think it'd be Dylan Larkin. Right. Uh, you know, you said elite level player and uh, I always have said, and, you know, and talking even about the Tigers that, 
in order for a rebuilding franchise maybe to take that next step, they need to catch maybe a break on a player uh, who is superstar level. I mean, they always said, you know, a, a lot of high draft picks have superstar potential, but a guy who, uh, you know, is um, head and shoulders, maybe that guy that they catch a break on. I, I look at the Tigers. I know Spencer Torkelson and uh, Casey Arthur Mize, and, and they have a lot of great young prospects, and the Tigers are going to be good in a very short period of time, I believe it. But Riley Green strikes me as maybe that type of player. When I look at what the Red Wings have, uh, I, I look at Mo Sider. And I look at also uh, maybe Lucas Raymond because before he went to Frulunda where he was only averaging 10 minutes, I mean, he was kind of in the same conversation or the same air as Lafreniere uh, at that time. And then because he didn't play well and had a, a bad season, uh, because he really, his lifetime was limited to like 10 minutes a game or something uh, for Frulunda. You know, he's the youngest player playing in the SHL, Swedish Hockey League. Uh you know, maybe they maybe they do have that superstar, or do you think they're still in waiting for that player, Nick? Well, to preface, when I say elite player, that's a high bar, right? right. Like I'm talking about difference maker, you know, like like superstar, right? right. And it's not a slight to say you're not an elite player, um, but that's what they need. Like you look at Red Wings history, okay, um, the last thirty years, the elite players are you know steve eiserman and sergey fedorov and nicholas lidstrom like that was the first sort of you know trio that they built around um in the, in the 90s right and then lidstrom was stated in an elite level and then they they the reason they were able to extend their window is they found datsuk and zetterberg right like it's, it's right. incredible that they were able to mine those guys in the sixth and seventh round and they became elite players and then then you build a couple you know complementary players around them um, but that's what they need, right? You look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, they had Stamkos, they had Hedman, you know, Stamkos has been hurt, but they found Braden Point, they found Nikita Kucherov. Nikita Kucherov should be wearing red, if you ask me, but they, right. the Red Wings missed on him, right? Three maybe times, if, three times yeah, they missed if, on him. If the Red Wings draft <laughs> Nikita Kucherov, maybe they have, you know, things are different, right? But they didn't, right? So, you know, I don't know how good Cider will be. I don't know how good Raymond will be, but I do know where they drafted him, right? And so you're hoping, just purely based on draft position and their their youth, that yeah, you you hope Moritz Cider becomes you know one of those players and Raymond becomes one of those players. Um, but I don't know yet. Like they have to come over here and they have to do it. Um, and you know, obviously there's reason to hope, but you know, I'm you know <laughs> you're talking about building a team like you need them to come over here and they need to be difference makers. Uh, that's what they need before they're really going to contend. Like always look at your players. Like we always look at your, you know, people who are fans of a team, look at their players in the context of their team and they're like, Oh, he's our best player. Okay. Well, well great. But what would he be on the team that just won the Stanley cup or the team that right. just played in the final, right? right? Like look, take your players and look at what you consider like a Stanley cup contender. Where would he slot? Right, like I love Dylan Larkin, love him as a player and as a person, but he's not a number one center on a Stanley Cup champion. Like he's not; he's probably a two or a three, which is okay, right? But that tells right. you you need a number one, right? Do the Red Wings have a number one defenseman on a Stanley Cup champion? I don't know. Will Moritz Sider grow into that potentially? But like we're a long way from there, right? Like they didn't get Haskinen, right? Who could be? Right. Like, right. Like, so 
they need to find those guys, and, and the draft is the most likely place you're going to find them. Well, in Heskinen's draft year, uh, I can remember uh, it was the same year that the Red Wings drafted Michael Rasmussen, who uh, his team in Austria, I still think, might be on pause. They haven't started, but three games, he has three points. You know, he he learned the center position. You know, I still have high hopes for Michael Rasmussen. But uh, in his draft year, I remember talking again to Craig Button, and I said, how about if that, uh, you know, Hiskinen guy or, you know, that if he's available? And he told me it's one of the best lines ever, Nick. He said, if, if, if Miro Hiskinen is available when the Red Wings draft at number nine, he said, I guarantee you that Ken Holland would rival Hussein Bolt in getting, <laughs> getting up to the, the yeah. getting up to that stage. He couldn't, couldn't get up there quick enough to say his name. He well, goes, they covered him. And, you know, obviously yeah. he, he, again, I mean, he showed it in the playoffs, but I think people who cover the league knew that that kid was a budding superstar. Yeah. And now you see why, right? Right. But, but right. like every draft's different right? Like every number one pick is different, right? Like some years you get Connor McDavid, right? And some years you get a guy who's not Connor McDavid, right? right who's right. very good, but not Connor McDavid, right? So, and that's, you know, I don't want to get into the past too much, but that's another reason why they resisted rebuilding for so long, right? Because right. the lottery, there's a lot of luck involved. You, you got to be bad in the right year and then get lucky in the lottery, right? Um, you know, some years the number four pick becomes a difference maker. You know, Kale McCarr, right? Like right. the Avalanche draft Kale McCarr, and he now he's a he's he's a Norris candidate, right? Lucas Raymond's the number four pick. Maybe he becomes you know elite. I don't know, but you know you hope. Like some years the number four, number four pick isn't, or the ball bounces and you you drive back. The Red Wings know about that, right? Um, again, you look at teams that turn it around overnight, the Colorado avalanche. Okay. Who are now like on the cusp of being a real Stanley cup contender. Right. were bad for a long time. Drafted these guys, you know, you know, McKinnon and Landis dog and McCarr and, you know, over a period of years, and then they turned it around overnight. Right. Like people see it overnight. Well, no, like they drafted these guys over a period of years. And we're bad, and then they mature, and then now they're good, right? And that's how it works. You know, generally, you can go to Chicago and Pittsburgh and, and Colorado, and I can give you lots of examples of that. Well, and, and, you know, and and again, you know, Philip Zadina is having a really good uh, season in, in the Czech League. It might have taken him a little bit longer, but I still think that, you know, he's at least a 25, if not 30-goal scorer in this league. Philip Hironik might be the guy that really – um, exceeds expectations. Yeah, and he's I, he, he's tearing it up right now, and he for being so young and and all the responsibility when Danny DeKaiser got hurt last year that the Red Wings had to throw at him. Yo, know, he handled it pretty well. Yeah, I mean, look, be careful about watching the Czech League and thinking like, oh, well, you know, like right. obviously it's better that he succeeds than he doesn't. But it's different hockey over there. Like, right, right, to, it I is. To, I got to watch the Czech League in whatever year it was 2012 during, during that lockout and i watched yager go back and play for it the team he owns in the czech league and he's like tearing it up like he looked 10 years younger well because <laughs> league wasn't as good right and that right. was even when some nhl players in there right so but you know it's better that he's playing and developing i'm glad he's there i'm glad heronic's playing in europe like all good things to me zadina you know like obviously he's got skill um, my biggest thing with Zadina is to unlock his full potential. They need to find an elite playmaking center. Right. Like, he's a goal scorer. He's a shooter. He needs somebody who can feed him the puck. So, like, he's a piece, right? Like, they need to find 
you know, a piece that will make the most of him, right? And I don't know that they have that necessarily right now. So uh, there's more work to be done. Right, there certainly is. I mean, it, it's a good sign. I mean, Dylan's locked up for uh, obviously long term. Mantha just signed the four year deal. The uh, uh, the Big Tony Express, the BT Express, as I like to call him. And uh, you know, and, and I think Tyler Bertuzzi, his deal may come hopefully uh, next year. There are some pieces to build upon, but I I have to agree with you. You know, they really and and I and you know, and Steve is more like you, Steve Eiserman, than than me. Uh, 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 Nick, you know, he, you know, he's patient, he's waiting. And I think that we will all know when the Red Wings are really on the cusp of being where Steve wants them to be and where we all want him to be, really, he will then start giving out long-term deals, not to, you know, certainly his own, like, like the Manthas and the Bertuzzi's and, and the Larkins, he'll give those guys deals, Heronic, that, you know, guys that he likes that are on the team already. But I mean, when he starts building that way and making those kind of additions, then the Red Wings are once again, an extremely uh, competitive hockey team. That's what you want. You want to be developing difference makers. You want to be re-signing your own guys to long-term contracts. That makes sense. So you're buying, you know, buying, you know, early and buying years of free agency, right? Like that's what you want. And then you want to supplement that through free agency, right? Like once you, they're not at that stage, right? So what he's right. done is been very smart for the stage that they're in, which is still very early. Um, and just leaving himself, you know, flexibility, both in terms of the roster and in terms of the cap for the future. And he's doing that right now. So, um, but it's going to take some time. It just is. Um, it's the reality of it. Um, and I think the, you know, the comforting thing for Red Wings fans is that you see the signs of, of a plan. Um, you know Eiserman is committed uh, to being here and seeing it through. You know the passion he has and the passion uh, Chris Draper has, right? Like, right. Um, for this franchise and trying to get it back to where, where they believe it deserves to be. Um, so I think you can take comfort in that, right? Like he's not going to jump into some other job or, you know, he's here to see this through. And I think... He also, the great thing about Steve Eiserman is he has the capital, right? Like the ownership isn't going to give up on him. The fans aren't going to give up on oh, him. Oh, God, no. You know, like that's a problem in other places where a GM takes over a bad team. It's going to take a while. The, the fan base is impatient. Um, and they don't have sort of the trust and the capital to sort of see through a plan. Like it doesn't work for a couple of years and, you know, things aren't moving fast enough. And then ownership changes. Um, and then now they get a, a different system and a different, you know, type of player they need to draft and it, they, they spin their wheels. Right. I think we we see another version of that in this town, you know, okay. uh, a different sport, <laughs> right. Where it's just constant change and constant different systems and constant, constant different philosophies. And, um, there's no stability. Right. So you've got, I think we got a good GM, you know, if you're Detroit, you know, he's got a plan, you can see the start of it and he's going to have the runway to execute it. So you're just, it's going to take a while to see whether he's able to get it done. Right. And, 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 and not mentioning teams, but Honolulu blue is a really nice color. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how did you figure that one out? Art? Uh, you know, my final question is, is that if you look at Steve's two drafts and the players, it, it does appear that at least from the people that really, really follow the draft. I mean, I know that both of us really follow the NHL more than than the up and comers, but but we both you know kind of look at the rankings and try to you know stay abreast of what's happening. It does appear that these last two drafts under Steve Eisman have graded out very well. 
potential on potential where it eventually ends up. We really don't know, but that is also an encouraging sign. Yeah. I I'm not a draft expert and I'm not going to pretend to be, I, I don't know. I mean, like a lot, especially in the NHL draft, like, like you can project all you want. Like, it's just, I don't know, you know, but what I do like is that I think he, he looks for skill hockey sense, right? Like he's looking for, you know, the elements that he knows like a successful player is going to have. And the other thing that I like is lots of lottery tickets. It's a, it's a lottery. Like, right. Like you don't know, you know, how these guys are going to develop. It's such an inexact science. Well, the more opportunities you give yourself to get lucky, the more chances you'll have. Right. So, and this really started with Ken Holland, like as much grief as he took for delaying the inevitable. Um, some of that came from ownership. Uh, which had no interest in rebuilding when Mr. Illich was old and they were building a new arena. Um, but as soon as um, they realized that their streak was going to end, they started selling off and started you know, stockpiling draft picks and getting, giving themselves more lottery tickets. And Steve has continued that. Um, so you've got more chances to get lucky. Like, um, you know, I don't know, you know, Bergeron, right? Like, Right, like, like he looks like he's he's doing really well in in Europe. Where was he drafted? Um, I'm trying to remember. Up the top he was drafted. He was like uh, uh, number 31 or 32 uh, in the second round. As a matter of fact, uh, if Joe Valeno did not fall to the Red Wings, and that that was in the Zadina draft, the 200 uh, 2018 draft. Uh, Zadina was first, and then at 30, a pick they got, I think, from Vegas Gold Knights in the Tatar deal, yep. uh, they took Valeno because Valeno was supposed to be like 15. Yep. He dropped to 30, and then Berggren. I've been told that if, if Valeno wasn't there, Berggren would have been that pick. And then they took Jared McIsaac after Berggren, who, you know, poor kid can't stay healthy. But I, I remember after that draft, the Red Wings thought that they legitimately got four first-round draft picks and, you know, over the, those, their first four picks, all of them could have been for in the first round. Yeah. So here's a Berggren, right? He's second round, 33rd overall. Right. Okay? And like, these are the types, these are the types of players I'm talking about. Like, I don't know if he'll be really good or Valeno will be really good or both of them, but if you get one of them, right? Right. Or, or two, right? Now we're talking, right? And that's the more picks like that you acquire and the more players like that you draft. Like you start hitting on one or two and now, now, now you got it right. What you can't do is the year. And this is, this is, you know, you know, they were able to hit with Datsuk and Zetterberg, right? Not going to happen all the time. It was incredible. They did, but there was a year they had the, the, the three second round picks. Um, and there's always, you know, hindsight, but they didn't get Kucherov. They didn't get Saad. They didn't get Trocek. Right. And I wouldn't expect them to get all three, but they got zero. Right. And the three players they did draft really never did anything in Detroit. Right. 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 So you, you get, you, you got to hit on one or, or two, right. You're not going to hit on all of them, but you hit on one or two and now you're talking. Right. So that's, that's their challenge. That's what they got to do. And, and they're well aware of that. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. All right, Nick, uh, on that note, we're going to have to wrap it up. But uh, just in case you, you joined us, you're joining us late, and I don't know why you would uh, get to like the 50-minute mark or whatever it is of the podcast and start. But uh, just to be sure, Nick thinks that they will start January 1st. It's an 82-game schedule, and fans will <laughs> and fans will be in the stands. So, uh, I mean, it's bold, Nick. I, 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 but I give you full marks for going out on a limb. Fake news. 
<laughs> yeah, obviously, you know, I, I, I'm teasing Dick. Yeah, I've known him a long, long time. I, I will remember there's two things that actually I really want to. I, I can remember the first time Henrik Zetterberg was on the ice up at Traverse City. We're all anticipating it. And I remember you looking at me and going, he's Z-Man. <laughs> I started laughing because you're right. He was Z-Man Z for sure out there. And then at one time where everybody was looking for Hashik, remember this, Nick? And he was in the, I don't know, David's rink or whatever it is in Traverse City, the rink that the Red Wings weren't on. And remember he was in the far, the far end of that rink and he played a hockey game by himself. Yes. It, well, was, it was, was amazing. A, well, there's, I don't know if it's the exact time that you're talking about or same camp, but Chris Chelios is over by the window. Like, I'm walking <laughs> out of the rink, and he's over by the window, and the lights are off in the rink. I go, what are you looking at? He goes, I don't know. Check this out. And it was Dom in the dark. He's in all of his equipment in the dark doing visualization drills and increase. There's no one else in the rink. Lights are off. And he's in, in front and doing all of this crazy stuff. And Chelis just looks at me and shakes his head and like walks away. And I'm like, wow. But that was, you know, people thought that Hashik, it was all kind of a fluke. It wasn't. Like he worked on all that stuff. And, and to him, it was the most efficient way to stop the puck. Right? And he, he would do all these crazy visualization drills. And, and he worked he worked and, and made himself, in my mind, I know this is a controversial statement, the greatest goalie of all time. Right. In my well, mind, he is, is the best. Um, and I know people will argue with me. But. Well, yeah, there's no way. You know, it, it's really funny. And one more Hashik story, then I promise we'll definitely end this. Uh, <laughs> but I, um, uh, in the 2002 playoffs, the first game in St. Louis, he was pulled. The Red Wings did not play very well. And I can remember, and St. Louis had this configuration where their dressing rooms are like two dressing rooms, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, so, so half the team, half the wings are in one room and half the, or the other. And then the other room had like a little workout bike and all that kind of stuff. So after the game, the Red Wings end up losing that game. And I, I think the only game they lost, I, and it was like 6-3 or something like that. But they were out of it pretty early. And, and as I said, Dom was pulled. So we're looking at, 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 you know, we're looking for Dom because we want to talk to him because he never really shied from the press. You know, he, he, he was pretty upfront. He was a pretty accountable player. And we're looking for him and we're looking for him and we can't find him and we're going from room to room. You know, where's Dom? And no one can find him. He was actually working out. He was working out. You know, he was riding the exercise bike, weights, whatever, whatever they had, whatever was set up in that in the wings room in St. Louis. That's exact. He did all that stuff. I remember him walking out, and we we're like, "Dom, you know, what are you doing?" I mean, he, you know, he had been pulled and all that kind of stuff. And he, and I remember he looked at us and said, uh, "I did nothing tonight. I had, I did nothing. I, it was time for me to." you know, to get a good workout in. I have to, I have to stay sharp. He goes, I was horrible. And I'm thinking to myself, here's a lot of players would sulk, dress as quickly as possible, take a cab maybe back, you know, and just not be available. And what he was doing during that game, he was working out in the gym or whatever that setup was and working out so much so, he was so into it, so intense, the game was over, we're looking for him. I mean, he did talk to us, but I just looked at him and I said, you know, that is the difference between being great and very, very good, you know, truly. Well, we should have an entire podcast series on the old days and stories. Like we could have do a whole, oh yeah, we could do a whole week on Scotty. Then we could do a week oh, on Shelly. Like I got Shelly stories all day. Like the, the the morning he retired, he's in the in the sauna riding a stationary bike. 
Like these guys are different. Like obviously they're talented, right? right? But you know, it's 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 what you do with that talent, right? And uh, again, we, we need a whole other podcast. Well, to talk about all of it. more than one Red Wing told me that it was Chelios who wanted to put a TV in the sauna. So he could watch TV and ride the bike, the exercise bike while he's in the sauna. And I can't tell you how many of the guys used to tell me they were convinced that one day they were going to walk into the sauna, the TV would be on, the stationary bike would be there, and and Shelly would be dead. <laughs> well, all right, fine, we'll tell the story. So one day Ken Holland's walking through the dressing room, and there's a construction crew there, and they're cutting a hole in the side of the sauna. And he goes, what are you doing? Like, he's the GM. Like, he's, <laughs> like, he's the one who signs the work orders. He's like, they're like, don't worry, Chelios is paying for it. He goes, what? What are you doing? Right? They were cutting a hole in the side so they could put the TV in with glass, right? So they could watch TV in the sauna. And it was so Shelly could um, ride the bike and watch TV, right? Well, then Chris Draper, who's like an unbelievable fitness freak, right? Right? Is like, tries it. And he's like, riding the bike in the sauna, I thought I was going to die. Right. right. The first time he did it. Well, then he started doing it. Right. And then it became when they had all those guys. You want to know why the media walked in the dressing room some nights and there's nobody there because they're all in the sauna having a beverage after the game. It became right. like the hangout place, too. Right. 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 Like, right. right. But that was Chelly. Like, I've got stories for days about that guy. Like, just crazy. But like the morning he retired, he retired in the Olympia Club at 48 years old. Um, on the other side of the cinder block wall, he had shown up and was riding the station, but Mary bike in the sauna that morning, the, the morning he hung wow. up. It just, he's, you know, it's incredible. Well, it is incredible. And, and if you would have told me that, and you would have told him, I think that when it was all said and done, the team that he would play the most games for were the Detroit Red Wings. He would have told you, you were crazy. I mean, he was not a big Red Wing fan, obviously, until he got here, you know, and it was, uh, yeah. I, I can remember his first practice as a Red Wing, he he uh, he hit Sergey. he took Sergey out, <laughs> and <laughs> during a practice, Sergey gets up and is like staring at him, and I remember going up to Chris afterwards, and you know, I, didn't, I sort of knew him, but I didn't know him as well as I obviously got to know him. And I said, Chris, I go, why did you hit Sergey? And he starts laughing. He goes, old habits die hard. Again, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can have a whole other episode. Oh, yeah. There's no yeah. doubt. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're definitely Nick. All right. On, on that note, um, thanks, Nick, for joining us here on the Red and White Authority. You know, you're a good buddy. I've known you a long time. I really enjoy your work. You're extremely talented. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be seeing you at the rink very, very soon. Thanks for joining us today, Nick, on the Red and White Authority. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me.